Welcome to the Eastview Baptist Church Teaching Podcast. In our three-week series titled, What is the Gospel? We explore the concept and the theme of how to defend our faith in a world that is searching for answers. We hope that you'll enjoy this teaching series. If you will, please like, share, subscribe, leave a brief comment to help make this resource more readily available to those you love. Thank you. God bless. <laughs> How are y'all doing this morning? I don't know if you like. Don't know if you can see my face. I know that it's raining. I know that, that that we're wet, right? How are we doing this morning? Okay, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, so y'all know y'all know how I do this, right? So I want you to look to your left. I want you to look to your right. Look behind you. Look in front of you. That is your family. These people are your family. I don't know if you noticed when you looked around, but we're missing some people. That is your family, right? You, you, you care about your family. This family, at least. You care about this family, okay? If you notice someone who's not here, we need to check on that person, right? We need to love on that person and let them know that they're missed. Let them know that they are a part of this family. And so in the past uh, two weeks, and kind of concluding today, we have been studying and really looking at in depth uh, the idea of what is the gospel. Y'all familiar with this concept? Alright, we're making some headway then. So, I've given you some really in-depth ideas and some really in-depth definitions on what the gospel is. I know you guys have been really waiting for this and looking for this. Today's the simple answer. Woo! Y'all like simple? Right? Uh, I had a a math teacher when I was a kid who who told me that sometimes we like to overthink things. And I said, not me. (laughs) I don't. And uh, I'm a bit of an overthinker at times. And so this teacher told me this this really beautiful, uh, really beautiful method for, for studying anything. And it's the KISS method. Y'all familiar with the keep it, keep it simple, stupid method, right? So this is the KISS method today. Uh, we're going to look at, in terms of what is the gospel, this is the simple answer. And the simple answer is, the gospel is salvation to those who believe. We've really looked at, in, in pretty good depth, what, what it is, that the, the details, the fine details, the things that people you know, don't necessarily spend the most time on. And so today, I want to show you the simplified version, and I want to show you what it is that the gospel actually aims toward. Uh, today's message will serve in two parts. It is both the conclusion of our what is the gospel teaching, but it's also an introduction of sorts to where we're going with our next a bit of study here on Sunday mornings together, and that is the book of Acts. And so Acts is the ultimate, uh, the, the, the ultimate church, the, the first church. This is basically the playbook of how to, to have a godly church. It's found in the book of Acts. And so the gospel actually points us to the secret sauce, as I call it on Wednesday nights, the secret sauce of what the church is. Right? The gospel leads us to 
what we're doing right now. What you see in front of you, around you, behind you, all these, these four areas, what you see around you is the product of the gospel. The gospel is the proclamation of the message of Christ. And because of this faithful proclamation at some point in time that you've seen of the message of Christ, you have been invited into this place. If you say, well, I was, I was, I was just kind of born into it. And I've, I've, I've always been in church. That's a faithful proclamation. Your parents understood the importance of the gospel and have had you firmly planted in church. Maybe you have wandered astray and you have lived a life that you're not proud of. Someone at some point in time has told you the gospel message of Jesus Christ and that He is salvation and it led you to where you are today. That's a faithful proclamation of the gospel. And... So I've really, uh, our, our teaching of what is the gospel has been kind of leading up to this, this character study, if you will, of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians from start to finish is, is a, chapters 1 through 3 are a, 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 a finite definition of the gospel. And then chapters 4 through 6 are how to put the gospel into action. And so today we're on the hinging verses. Uh, you guys familiar with the door? Uh, what makes the door open and close? A hinge, right? So this message that we look at today is the hinge that opens the gospel and invites in the church. So if you will, if you don't mind, if you're able, please stand with us as we read God's Word. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version today. <coughs> we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And it says, I therefore, a prisoner... For the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord... One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful to be able to gather today, God, to be, to be your body, God, to be the body of Christ, God, to meet together as a family, Lord, and celebrate and lift up the word of God. We just pray that today, Lord, that this message, God, that these verses would touch our hearts, provide both nourishment and correction, God, that we would lead our course to you, that all, uh, that all areas of our lives, God, would point to the centralized gospel message that Jesus came and died for our sins, God. We just pray that you'll use us, you'll use this time together. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So... I'm giving you the simple. You guys like simple? Okay, so then we're going to go back to the complicated because I, I think you like that better. Again, do you like simple? There we go. Uh, so a simplized version. Let me point you back to Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And if you look at verse 6, there's a beautiful summation of the gospel found in the book of Ephesians uh, Right, or verse 7, rather, found right here in verse 7. Uh, and the HCSB uh, puts it this way. It says, In Him, which is Christ Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our, our trespasses according to 
the riches of His grace. So what is the gospel? It's forgiveness through the blood of Christ for all who would believe that we may encounter the riches of God. That's it. We, we try and overcomplicate things at times. And it's good to know the, the, the intricacies. But in its simplest form, right? In its purest form, the gospel is the fact that Christ Jesus died for us. What do we do? We live for Him. So today, with the gospel in mind... Uh, we study these verses from Ephesians chapter 4, uh, as we call them, the hinge, right, between the gospel and the church. As we study the hinge movement, anybody ever dealt with an old door? What happens with an old door sometimes? It gets a little creaky. If it's really not maintained, sometimes it gets stuck shut. We get set in our ways, so to speak. The gospel never changes, right? But we have to adapt our lives to the gospel. We have to maintain our lives to the gospel. We can, as people, again, get a bit set in our ways. If that comes as news to you, you may be a bit set in your ways, right? Because the rest of us are like, amen. And... <clears throat> So, salvation is to the believer, right? So, the gospel is salvation to the believer. Here in verse 1, uh, we begin to really dive in deep and, and study uh, this hinged passage, as we said. Uh, the four parts of the gospel, which is it's, it's beautiful. This is easy to remember. There's creation, there's fall, there's redemption, and there's restoration, the gospel hinges here between the fall and redemption. Christ Jesus is our redemption. Well, what about no? There's, there's no other way. There's no other name. He is our redemption that leads to the ultimate restoration. See, the beauty of the Bible is that we started in a garden by a tree and we end in the garden, by a tree, and on the second part, we get a river involved, right? So in, God, in, in, in Genesis, we see that we're invited into a, a garden, which is this beautiful place that God has made for us to live. But God loved us enough that He gave us the ability to make our own decisions, right? He knew when He gave us the opportunity to make our own decisions what we would do. But He loved us enough to give us the opportunity. And then He loved us enough to give us an answer. He loved us enough to give us a way out of ourselves. So you have people that say, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He sent His Son to help you escape from hell. He sent His Son to die for you in a way that you would not see hell and death. We have a way as flesh to look at death as some final conclusion. Our last breath in this earth is our first breath in eternity. And there's beauty in His breath. <laughs> this breath idea comes highly, uh, highly involved here in, in this Ephesians uh, passage of Scripture. 
I want, to, I want you to practice something real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to do it again in a bit, but I want you to have some practice first, right? So everybody ready? I want you to say, Ru-ach. Ru-ach. Do, you, do you all feel that? You're, you're going to have a natural proclivity to at the end of that. I want you to do it. Ru-ach. That is the word in Hebrew for the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is Ruach Kadesh. That is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is alive and active and present in every single person that calls on the name of God. There are differing denominations that have differing opinions, right? There are some denominations that don't... The, 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 the Holy Spirit is an external source and we don't have this ability. That's not a triune God and that's a false dichotomy. That is a false God. Jesus very clearly told us in all four gospel accounts to stay put in Jerusalem for the, the Spirit that would come upon us. He doesn't say for some of you guys, right? In totality, stay put, the Spirit will come. Ruach Kadesh will come for you. And here in the Ephesians, we have Paul, who is... Okay, y'all ready for this? I know that, that verse 1 will try and stump you. It says, I therefore a prisoner. And you say, what? what does this have to do with me? So Paul was a literal prisoner at this point in time, writing to the church in Ephesus. You say, well, I'm not a prisoner. Actually, you are. We are prisoners to sin. You familiar with this concept? We are handcuffed, so to speak, by sin. God gives us the, the, the way out of sin. Far too many people can look at the key and say, no, nah, I'd just rather stay handcuffed to this sin. Paul says, I therefore am a prisoner for the Lord, and I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I know that's a bit wordy, right? He says, I urge you to walk, in other words, to live a life that is worth the sacrifice that Christ laid out for us. It's a two-edged sword. We will never be worthy of the call, but each and every single day, we are to strive to be more and more like Christ. Here's where, and you probably heard this, and maybe nobody's ever broke it down for you. There's, there's two parts to this, and one is called justification, and the other is sanctification. Y'all ever heard that before? And chances are nobody ever went into depth what that meant for you. So you've just kind of, uh, this, is, this is my equation to me, right? Like you just thumbs up things and just pretend that you understand and you live and don't know. But we don't know until we ask. So sanctification is, is daily. Every single day, you may have heard me say before, that I'm not perfect, but I'm in a state of perpetual perfection. In other words, every day we strive to be more and more like Christ. Right? That is sanctification. We, every day, we seek to be more uh, saintly, if you would, to be more like Christ. And sanctification, it, it, it's, it's part of an equation. It, it, this is not like real math, but it is. Alright, so sanctification is repentance times the Holy Spirit. Oh, here we go. Repentance is us every single day making the decision to say, I want to leave behind the man I was yesterday. I want to leave behind the woman that I was yesterday. 
right? Today, as Paul says in, in the, uh, the letter to the Corinthians, that today I'm a new creation. Every single day that you're blessed to have new breath, new ruach, every single day is a new morning mercy. God has been gracious to give you another day. And when you repent or turn from the sin of yesterday and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and push you away from that sin, and not just that sin, but the stain that you feel when you stray from God, that is sanctification. Justification. Again, you've probably heard it before, and nobody may have ever explained this to you. Sanctification, or <clears throat> justification rather, was instantaneous. The moment that Christ Jesus died for you and raised from the dead, in other words, our redemption, remember? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The moment that Christ declared redemption is the moment that justification, being in a right standing with God, was made available to all who would believe in Him. Everyone who would believe in Him. Well, you don't know me. God does. And He said, all who believe in Him. Well, you don't know what I've done. God does. And He said, all who call on the name of Jesus. Every single day is a new day to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, with all... This is... Okay, we're going we're gonna to look at 6 and we're going to look at 7. Y'all hold on to these numbers. Everybody got it? 6, 7. 6, 7. It'll make it easier to remember these things if you look at 6 and 7. Now the 7 was a, a, a past or historical creed. And when you read it and you think of it in that sense, it'll make a little more sense to you. But for our six, we're going to look at verses two and three real quick. It says, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ruach, in other words, the unity of Ruach, Spirit of God, in the bond of, y'all heard this one before, shalom. It's a sense of peace that only God can provide. So we have ruach, shalom. It's a, it's a peace in the Spirit of God. The gospel message presents us with an ability to be at peace in God. If you're living in a sense that is at peace in God, the way that you treat other people will change. If the way that you treat other people does not change, you are not living in a sense that is ruach, shalom. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm just not a, not a people person. You're a God person. And God called you to love other people. We, we like to make excuses of why we can't do things for God. God, the beauty of the Holy Spirit, this ruach, the ruach that we're talking about, the beauty of ruach is that every single one of us were endowed with spiritual gifts. In other words, things that are not natural to you, that God appointed you with an ability to be over. In other words, He gave you authority that you don't deserve, you couldn't earn, and gave you the authority of these gifts to be in His plan. Maybe you're not a people person, but you have some innate ability to, to keep things organized, and, right, you have behind-the-scenes skills. You're still supposed to treat people fairly. You're still supposed to treat people humbly. But are you going to be used, these skills, these gifts that God gave you, are you going to allow Him to use them, or are you going to keep making excuses? Can I tell you a little secret, guys? 
within the church, the unified body of Christ, there is something that each and every single person can do. Have you ever walked into church? Not just this church, any church. You walk into church and you go, man, that thing right there, if that thing was just this way, we, we look at this as like, right, as this, eh. You know what that is? That's God telling you how you can be a part of that church. Because here's the beauty. You may say, well, this, this doesn't seem organized or this doesn't seem this way. That's God saying, I chose you to help with that. I gave you this ability to see something. Maybe nobody else has saw that thing. So instead of complaining and griping and saying, eh, if this was just this, I could commit to that, realize God called you to be a part of it. He didn't call you into the church to just sit. None of us. We are called to be the hands and feet of Christ. I told you, this is where the gospel meets the church. We are in the hinge right now. If you don't grasp this, if you can't understand this, then the book of Acts will just seem like some hypothetical situation to you. And I don't want you to live in some hypothetical situation. If this doesn't ring your bell, if this doesn't knock the dust off of your cover, then come and see me and we will explain this. We will look at this together in a way that you can understand. You are called to be a part of the body of Christ. It is a blessing that we don't deserve. That we, imperfect creations, would be invited by a perfect creator to be a part of His everything. We don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. And yet He freely gave it. We have humility. We're going to count them off, guys. We're going to live with all humility and gentleness. In some translations, this may appear as the word meekness. And I know, in this world, in our perspective, meek seems like a weakness. Right? <clears throat> but let me actually tell you the real definition of meekness. Meekness is to perform justice on behalf of those with no voice by those in a position of authority. You remember what we just said? That all of us are given different gifts, we're given different abilities, and put into a seat of authority of those things that God has entrusted us with to be a part of the church. We are to be like Christ who is meek. Not in weakness, right? But in a countercultural way to provide love and respect and admonishment for those who don't have a voice of their own. Why is community mission so important for me? Because the gospel may never make it to those people. You say, well, that's their fault. No, that's your fault. That is my fault. That is our fault, church. Well, it's just right there in front of them. Are you sure about that? If you have never brought the gospel message to them, don't be so sure. Because if I remember correctly, when we looked at week one and asked you what is the gospel, not a lot of answers. So if we who are the church can't automatically define what it is to believe in Christ, how do we expect a world who has fallen and away from Him to be able to do it? Humility, gentleness or meekness, 
patience. God's working on me on that one, y'all. That's why I got two little boys. Bearing with one another in love. Some translations say indwelling with one another in love. Living with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Living in Ruach. Shalom with one another. To be unified by Jesus Christ through the Spirit of God. To love on one another. Care for one another. Look around. Realize that your brother or sister is not here. And care for them enough to check on them. Anybody ever had to miss a Sunday? What did it feel like when nobody said a word to you? Did it make you feel like, man, I feel like I'm connected to that. Like I'm a part of that. Not so much. But heaven forbid you had to miss a Sunday. What did it feel like when somebody called you? And not from a judgmental standpoint of saying, oh, where are you? But to call you and say, are you okay? We missed you. Think of what that would feel like. Now, if you've been in that situation and know what that feels like and you can put yourself now in those shoes, think of what it would feel like in the world to be a part of the world, not know Jesus Christ and somebody to bring you the best news ever. It's like everybody has this free, and, 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 so that we can understand, everybody has this free inheritance to a million dollars, right? A billion dollars, if that makes you feel better. And if you have access to it, you're like, yes, this is awesome. But for those who don't have access to it and don't know about it, and they see you living in happiness, why are we so important that we think that, that we shouldn't bring it to them? I've said this on Wednesday night before. We live in a culture that's not enough for us to succeed. We have to see other people fail. That's wrong and it's selfish. It is completely against what Paul is saying here to live in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Six. Verse 4 picks up. And that, that may sound familiar to you, right? You're hearing these things, you're like, ah, it sounds familiar, but maybe it's in a different, in a different, I can't, I can't place it. So you probably have heard this, especially as a kid. This is like a vacation Bible school principle. Y'all remember the fruits of the Spirit? Just shake your head and pretend you do, because I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you up to speed real quick. So Galatians 5, 22 through 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This concept is not a one-time thing. Paul continually points back to it because it's important. We are to be in the body of Christ and to love each other in a way that is deserving of the body of Christ. <clears throat> Again, I told you, uh, verses... Uh, four through six, they they sound kind of they sound kind of clunky, right? Let me let me read it again for you, and 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 we'll look at it. <clears throat> there is one body, one spirit. You are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God, and Father of all. There's our seven. Remember six? Seven. So here's our seven. This, as you see it here, verses four through six, uh, in its day and in its era, was a Hebrew creed. What's a creed? It's things that you commit to memory, right? They help you to be able... Uh, this is basically... a a former day of apologetics, a way of defending your faith. So how do you defend your faith? By realizing there's one body, one spirit. Remember I told y'all we've practiced. Now I want you to do it with me. So we're back, we're, we, we finished our six, now we're on our seven. Y'all ready? One body, one ruach. So let's try that again, except you're going to participate, right? <laughs> one body, one ruach. D now, I want you to hold on to something. Did you actually participate there? If you didn't, we're going to give you another opportunity because you're going to realize something. Rue, there's a breath in. <sighs> Do you notice this pattern here? We breathe God in, we breathe God out. We breathe Him in, we take Him in for, for our nourishment, and we breathe Him out, we breathe Him out for others that it can do the same. The Spirit of God comes in you so that you can go out. We live in one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. <clears throat> all right, guys. I want you to notice something uh, there in verse 5. Uh, we're going we're to focus on it really, really quickly. Uh, most of the body we get, right? One unified body. In other words, a part of a church, a part of a local body of believers. Uh, part of one spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We talked about that, how it indwells in all believers. One hope. That is the hope of salvation. So when it says that it belongs to your call, the call of salvation is, as Jesus said in the Great Commission, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We were to take our one hope, the hope of salvation, and give it to everybody. Anybody ever got to be generous? You're going to get to be generous at the block party. So if you've never been generous, that's going to be like a new thing for you. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. So if you've ever been generous, you know that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. One Lord, one faith. Again, both of these unified in Christ to God the Father. Now I want you to see something that seems kind of strange. Because we think of it as like a, a modern day Right, a modern day, huh? One baptism. Anybody ever been to like other uh, denominations? Uh, Pentecostal, Church of God, Presbyterian, Methodist. You've been a part of many, right? Many denominations. Then you know, <laughs> all of them have a different idea of baptism. From a Baptist perspective, and I believe that it's biblically based, is this idea of immersion. But there's, there's a, it's, it can't be an either or. It's got to be a both and. There's also the baptism of Holy Spirit. Alright, so we, we're really focused on the immersion thing. Can I tell you a secret? A lot of Baptists don't talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why we would not talk about that when it's a gift given freely to all who believe. Alright, and then maybe in some other denominations you've heard this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in some of those sects it comes in one way. Speaking of tongues, I personally have been there and I've, I've been in these churches. I can't see a, a single biblical explanation that says that's the only indwelling of the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, I see Paul make a lot of other examples of different ways that God uses the Holy Spirit and then blesses you to do 
These crazy, amazing things. Things that you were not capable of on your own power and authority. <clears throat> I say that and I show you both sides of this perspective. And there's another, uh, there's another one that is just sprinkling people. Right? There's all these different ways of looking at it. And we think of it as like this modern day uh, issue. And like all of a sudden in the, 20, in the 20th and 21st century it's become a thing. Guys, can I show you something? This is a long-standing argument. Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Again, we have to stop looking at it as an either or, and it has to become, in the Word of God, one baptism, a both and. You are immersed, right? But you are also indwelled. Well, what order does it come in? Doesn't matter. One baptism. One. Remember six, seven? One. One faith. One Lord. One baptism. We've got to stop. Part of the, the biggest divide of Christians today is this either or ideology. That things have to be either or. That is so selfish, guys. We live and serve a God who is a both and God. Amen. I'm going to give myself my own amen right there. He is a both and God. You have to understand this principle of a both and God because, again, as we study the book of Acts, there's going to come a chapter 2 and you're going to go, well, what do we do with this? We're going to look at that. But I wanted to introduce this concept to you and how there's been a division, obviously, at least since the church at Ephesus, over what baptism looked like. Both and. And then, honestly, it, it kind of, it, it seems like it's just hidden here at the end. I'm going to wrap it up really quick. It seems like uh, it's hidden here at the end. But we see one God and Father. Do I have to explain that one to you guys? Y'all got that one? Literally, it is what it says. God and Father, right? One God and Father of all. This is going to, if, you, if you're familiar with, with the Old Testament, again, just like the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit, right? How it kind of sounded familiar, but you couldn't place it. <clears throat> because this one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, if you were a Hebrew at the time living uh, in, in this context, this would have rung bells to you. This would have made sense to you. Because it took you back uh, to the book of Deuteronomy or the book of Exodus. Uh, from Deuteronomy, uh, we have the most important prayer of the day for any Jew of this time. Is this thing, you may not have heard of it, it's called the Shema. We're, we're practicing things together. I want y'all to be, I want y'all to feel this. Everybody ready? This is easy. Shema. Shema. That, one, that one's easy. Y'all like that one, right? Shema. If you say... Well, I don't know what to pray. This was the prayer that the Jews said. I don't know what to pray. I got one, right? I know a prayer. This should be a prayer that maybe you're like, I'm not a good prayer. Commit this one to memory. And this is a champion prayer. Why? Because God gave it to us directly. And in Deuteronomy uh, verse 6, again, verses 6 and 7, it says, Hear, O Israel. And this is here as in, hear my word, O Israel. The Lord our God, Yahweh, God the Father, the Lord is one. God the Father, God the Spirit, Ruach, 
God the Son is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus comes and says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. And when he says this, Jesus actually takes it a step further in his his revitalization of the Shema. And he says we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Every single piece of you is to love and worship God. That's the gospel, y'all. The God who saves, we are to love Him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Everything that we have, we are to give and love to God. How do we give it? Jesus, again, He takes that a step further and He says, love the people like you love your God. He says the law and the prophets are summarizing those two things. These commandments, verse 6, I have given you today are to be on your hearts. Uh, It's on our hearts. In other words, it is committed to you. Impress them on your children. In other words, teach them to your children. Remember we started this and I said, maybe you grew up in church. Then faithful uh, gospel proclamation has been made to you. Your parents were living out the Shema and they might not have even known it. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. Anybody remember the road to Emmaus? Jesus faithfully proclaims the gospel to two what would seem complete strangers on the road to Emmaus. He was living out the Shema. And when you lie down at night, Pray the Shema. I love you, God. On my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. And when you wake up, I love you, God, with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. That's the gospel. That's how we live out the gospel. That's how the gospel hinges and meets the church. In conclusion, uh, we can go ahead and come up uh, and and prepare uh, for communion. In conclusion, The Shema is the encapsulation of love. In other words, it is a a finality of love. God, through Christ, has united us all in love. We are... Y'all remember this one? Hey, hey, follow me. I promise we're almost there. We are Ruach Shalom. Shalom. We are in peace in the Spirit of God. Y'all didn't know you were going to learn some Hebrew today, right? You're going home, you're like, Ruach, Kadesh, Shalom. Right? He cares for us in our daily lives in order that we would do the same. What does it mean to love one another as God it's literally through this, this what we're gonna what we're gonna partake in here, guys, is to share in a meal together. And the meal that we share in is literally the blood of Christ. That God loved us so much that He would send His Son to die for us. The gospel has to take up root in your heart for you to be a a utilized member of the body of Christ. 
I'm going to pray for us really quick. Uh, and then we're going to come. We'll start on this side. Come down and we'll actually get our uh, communion cup and uh, our two cups. What you're going to notice today. Alright, time out for a second. Let's be, let's be human together. Anybody remember the COVID days? Remember those little pre-filled cups? and the, the, I'm not even going to call it a wafer. The thing on top. Y'all are having like flashbacks. Of, like, that's a horror. We're going to partake with one another in actual unleavened bread. This is exactly what Jesus would have broken at the Last Supper and shared with His disciples. It's unleavened bread. It's bread without yeast. He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Right? What we're going to have here is not, it's not beautiful. It's not perfect. It's used as a binder in that time, right? To be able to bring your meal together. It would have been used to scoop and eat whatever the meat or the protein may have been. But it's going to be a lot better than the wafer. Okay? So I just had to give that to you real quick before I pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful, Lord, to be gathered here in Your presence, to be united in Your Spirit, God, to feel the peace that comes from You and You alone, God. I just pray that You'll use us, You'll unite us, God, You'll allow us to carry out the message, God, that we not take for granted this meal that we enjoy together, God, that it is Your, your body, God, it is your, your flesh and Your blood poured out for us, Lord. Just pray that you'll use this communion and just allow us to, to physically feel the, the healing and the nourishment that comes from Christ Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.